the problem is that if interest rates were to rise to the point whereby the loss of purchasing power of the dollar um, was reflected in the interest rates, then by then, all the mal investments and even, I mean, government finances, the whole thing would, would just sort of fall apart completely. I mean, it would be catastrophic. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Mark is here with you for Arcadia Economics. And we are finishing up our coverage of this year's Silverfest. We've been rebroadcasting the panels for anyone who may have missed them. And only a few more remaining, although this was a fun one with Rafi Farber and Alistair McLeod. When they dug into the Federal Reserve and talked about whether the Fed's interest rate hiking policy will break the markets and cause some sort of bigger problem that could conceivably lead them to reverse course. So I think you'll find this one interesting. And with that said, here we go. Fortunately, a panel that I've also been quite excited about is with Alistair McLeod of goldmoney.com, where he does his fantastic research there. And joining us again is Rafi Farber of the Endgame Investor. And we're going to talk about if the Fed is going to finally break these markets and quite quite a interest rate sequence we've had this year. It was interesting. I remember uh, recently I saw an email from, I think it was from Dave Pranzer, where we were talking last year and just uh, discussing how, when we would ever see the Fed raise interest rates again. And at least a year, 15 months ago, it seemed hard to imagine they would ever get off their zero interest rate policy. But um, now here we are, and we've seen them hiking 75 basis points at a pop, perhaps giving an indication that we might be near a pause, uh, or not a pause, but a, a slowdown of only 50 basis points in December. And I think a lot of people are wondering how long does this go before something breaks? And Alistair, we'll start with you, because obviously this is something that you're writing about regularly and have quite a knowledge of the history of these central banks. And how long do you think this can go on for until something breaks? I don't think very long. Um, I mean, you, you're saying that, um, you know, is the Fed going to break markets? I think the answer is no. I think the markets are going to break the Fed. I mean, <laughs> you know, the way I think the way in which old stages in the market, um, like me, understand things is that you find the um, you know, the central bank can control things after for a while, but eventually the market takes charge. And I think that's roughly what we're seeing. The Fed has um, a real problem, um, and that is with it, interest rates rising. And this is actually being forced on them by the markets. Um, they're trying to sort of pretend they're still in control. But really, Chris, they're not. Um, the problem is that if interest rates were to rise to the point whereby the loss of purchasing power of the dollar um, was reflected in the interest rates, then by then, all the mal investments and even, I mean, government finances, the whole thing would, would just sort of fall apart completely. I mean, it would be catastrophic. So the Fed is desperate to try and get ahead of the curve before it goes much higher. So that, I think, is where they are. But there is another aspect of this, and that is that uh, banks, um, commercial banks, 
are very highly leveraged, not so much in the United States, but if you look at Japan and the Eurozone, and also Switzerland, and also the UK, the level of balance sheet leverage is enormous. I mean, the reason that it's so high in the Eurozone and Japan is that with negative interest rates, the lending margins have just got compressed and really compressed. So what does the bank do? It just expands its balance sheet to try and keep um, its its bottom line looking reasonable. Um, but of course, as soon as interest rates start rising, the whole game changes. And that is what they face now. So they are desperate to bring back, if you like, some sort of normality into their balance sheets, which means they've got to cut um, their asset side. And I mean, it's principally the asset side. Um, what happens is when you cut the asset side, obviously the, the liability side cuts as well. So you find that deposits go down. And guess what? What is M2, M3? It is bank deposits. So you will see that contracting. And we're already seeing that beginning to happen. It's not all that visible because, you know, the the market as a whole is sort of split between financials and non-financials. And what we've had so far is the banks are leaning on their financial borrowers or borrowers who are dealing in financials to try and reduce their loan exposure. They've been doing that. They're now beginning to do the same thing for um, the non-financials. And if you look at loan officer surveys, you can see this. You can see, you know, that it's, it's, it's all beginning to, to, to go pear-shaped. Now, I think the best way to understand the relationship between bank credit and the economy is to understand what GDP is. Every transaction, except at the retail level with small change, Every transaction is all done in commercial bank credit. It's all settled in commercial bank credit. So if you get a contraction of commercial bank credit, then obviously you're going to see a contraction in GDP, nominal GDP we're talking. Now, at the same time as you've got a contraction in nominal GDP, you've got a high rate of um, price inflation, if you like, consumer price inflation, which really means that the real contraction is very, very severe. And this is the thing that is terrifying the Fed. And it gives them a problem. Do they protect the markets by trying to sit on interest rates and ensure they go no higher? Or do they let markets sort out everything and protect the currency? They can't do both. It's either or. I've been talking about this for about the last two years. I mean, I think it was, it must've been a good two years ago when I started drawing a parallel between uh, what John Law did in France in 1720 and the current situation. Now, where are we today? We've had the same situation. The Fed is in the position of John Law. Do they actually support the shares? In other words, the current, you know, the, the, the financial assets, uh, the government stock, um, do they run in and do that? Do they do more QE, which is effectively what John Law was doing, uh, to try and keep the market going? Or do they support the currency? And that is the problem that the Fed now faces. They are no longer in control. Now, we know which way this is going to go. We know that the Fed has no mandate to create the massive unemployment and the stock market crash 
of a complete reorganization, letting the market say, we're going to sort this out and just sort of pray that the markets, if you can sort of protect the currency, the markets will come back, you know, as they always have done in the past when government hasn't intervened. But they don't have the mandate to do that. And think of the effect on uh, the, you know, the government um, budget deficit with rising unemployment and falling taxes, um, increased welfare commitments. I mean, you know, you think you've seen some, um, you know, monetary inflation so far. No way. There's nothing compared with what's down the road. So that, I think, is the basic problem that the Fed faces. They are no longer in control, but they have a choice. They can either go and support the markets and destroy the currency or support the currency and destroy the markets. Obviously, a lot of valid points that Alistair laid out. Um, but what, what would you like to share and add to that? Um, well, the, the, the basic question. Well, I, OK, let's let's talk about uh, central bank insolvency. Um, in a, the, uh, on one hand, the Keynesians want to say that uh, central banks don't need to be solvent because uh, they can print money. So um, their losses are all just uh, fantasy and it doesn't matter. Um, but then on the other hand, everyone's nervous about central banks being insolvent. Uh, so like they're kind of in a bind here. Does it matter? Does it not matter? And, uh, you know, to the, to the average man on the street, it doesn't matter if uh, a central bank is, they don't even know what a central bank is and how it would affect the, the purchasing power of their currency. But when, when it comes down to it, you know, we're all, we're all on this humongous pyramid that has been built up um uh with derivatives on the top of it of, of central banks so they they've built this monetary pyramid and everyone's living within it it's not like anyone understands all of the entire system everyone has a different view from wherever they are in the pyramid but you know at the bottom of it is all it's always gold and silver that's at the bottom of every monetary pyramid so when when central banks go insolvent that is the pyramid collapsing um and even in, and even though people don't really connect the collapsing of the pyramid with a, a balance sheet of some obscure institution that they don't even understand. That is what is happening because the dollar as a as a unit of liability of the central bank, you know, that it's it, the, the value of it comes from the balance sheet of the central bank that issues of issues it just like in, you know, hundreds of years ago, your silver or gold certificate, its value is based on the gold and silver that existed in the bank that issued you the certificate in the first place. We're just talking about the same thing, just much more centralized and much bigger. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about central banks going bankrupt. The faster they go bankrupt, the better. And uh, yeah, it's not really the Fed breaking the market. It's the markets breaking the Fed, as Alistair said in the beginning. And uh, we, can, we can just hang on until that happens. And it's not going to be that far now. Uh, because every time the cent, if you get, even go going back to 2000, if you just go back, you know, just to just the last 20 years, every time they they raise interest rates, you know, even slower than the pace that they're doing now, the collapse isn't far ahead. So uh, we're, I think we're talking about months. Could it be a year, another year? I mean, I've been wrong on timing before. Lots of people before me have been wrong on timing before, but I can't see it going much further than a few months. Well, obviously, the timing is the tricky part. And perhaps the last question before we wrap up here for you, Rafi, I know you've been tracking the losses that the Fed has been incurring and start, starting to get to some pretty big numbers. Um, 
does it matter even if the Fed is incurring losses? Uh, at, at what point do they yeah. start to feel the pain a little bit too much? And that also forces them to uh, change what they're doing. Yeah, it definitely it definitely matters. Um, it, but it it's not that it's not that it matters. Um, I mean, look, the the mar the market is uh, we're talking about the entire monetary market. It's a humongous, awesome collection of all of humanity, you know, trading together, and not and no single person understands every aspect of it. Uh, so when the when central banks go bankrupt, I mean that again that that it, what what has to happen is that the remaining real assets on their balance sheet, when the when the bonds and the mortgage-backed securities that are on that balance sheet fall, the other side of the balance sheet, which is the gold that's on their balance sheet, which I'm assuming is there, maybe it's not, but let's assume it's there, that has to go up in value to balance their balance sheet. So you'll see as central banks go more and more bankrupt, gold will go higher and higher, and I think the gold-to-silver ratio will fall closer and closer to 15 to 1 until we're in a full monetary crisis where we go back to 15 to 1. And that's when the Fed loses and the market breaks the Fed. Well, it doesn't seem like we're all that far off. And uh, again, just appreciate everything that you're laying out there. Any final thoughts on anything regarding the Fed that you'd like to add before we wrap up this panel, Rafi? Uh, final thoughts. On the, <laughs> my final thoughts on the Fed. Uh, look, good luck, guys. Uh, <laughs> I know you're. I know you're nervous. Uh, and, uh, I know you have no idea what you're doing. Um, but it's okay. You'll all be fired soon and, uh, have a good trip to Epstein Island if that's what you're headed. <laughs> well, I appreciate that guys. Uh, Rafi, thank you for everything that you've shared. And it's been great having you here today at Silverfest and Alistair appreciate everything that you had there where certainly not an ideal time for what we're watching and living through and not making life easy for a lot of people, but uh, appreciate you laying things out clearly and shedding some of the history so that people can understand why these things are happening, where they've been repeated before and what we can learn from that. So we are going to wrap up this panel for now, but thank you both for joining me. Appreciate you being a part of Silverfest and we will be back in just a couple minutes with First Majestic Silver. So thanks again and we'll see you in a minute. Well, thank you to Alistair and Rafi for everything you shared in that panel. It was great to have the both of them together at Silverfest talking about the Fed and the unfortunate dynamic they're facing, which really doesn't seem to have any easy out or solution to it. Personally, I think that ultimately the Fed will resort, resort to printing a lot more money as has been the history of central banking for a very long time. And we'll find out a lot more about that in 2023. Certainly should be an interesting year to watch unfold. And before we wrap up, would like to thank Silver Viper for bringing us today's video. Silver Viper has been exploring its La Virginia project in Sonora, Mexico, and also recently announced a $2 million private placement which was one of the conditions of their letter of intent to acquire Canisil resources. So if you would like to find out more about that, or if you'd like to participate, the link to that press release is in the description field below. And we'll be having Silver Viper on the show later this week, talking a little bit more about that and how that is all coming together. So thanks again to Silver Viper for bringing us today's episode. 
going to wrap up for now, but hope you found this one helpful and I will see you again tomorrow.